0: you may be wondering why anybody would come up with a program called how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. I mean, religion and church going is common. It's as common as, you know, apple pie and Chevrolet. The whole concept of, you know, dinner on the ground, Sunday dinner on the ground, fellowship, potlucks, uh, going to church is part of of the American culture. So, Why in the world would I imply the idea, the concept of beginning a relationship with God without church and religion? Well, I'll tell you why. In a moment of quiet time, Billy Graham confessed to his family that he felt like he had been a failure. The reason was quite simple. After being seen and heard by millions, he did not see a nation that was any closer to God. Now, America has a problem. And and let me try to illustrate what that problem may be. You know, in America, there are 450,000 churches that dot the landscape of America. There's over 650,000 preachers that minister to those churches. In America, 84% claim to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. 74% Confess commitment to Jesus Christ. Yet, those same people say that the moral value of America is worse than ever before. 68% of these same people say divorce is morally acceptable. The divorce rate among Christians is the same as non Christians, about 50%. 60% say having a baby outside of marriage is morally acceptable. 59% say gay and lesbian sexual relationships are morally acceptable. And 63% of these same people who claim to be Christian say that sex between unmarried men and women is morally acceptable. Now, what it seems to imply to me is that there is an issue of morality, that when it comes to morality, our morals are not getting better. And yet we've got all these churches. We've got all these people who are claiming to be religious. Now, as Americans, we tend to place enormous confidence in our religion and faith. Yet that confidence could be in such a simplistic act like, well, I raised my hand last night and gave my heart to the Lord. And by committing such a simplistic act, we conclude that we are now saved and have an intimate relationship with God. We are now Christian. And from there, we may or may not choose a church. And if so, we choose a church that of our choice. You've heard that one before, probably. Choose the church of your choice. And once in church, the church becomes like an echo chamber. The preacher speaks, but it's just our own thoughts and convictions coming back to us. If we disagree with the preacher, we find another church where the echoes resonate and make us feel comfortable. We hang out with people we agree with, and we avoid the people we disagree with. We surround ourselves with like-minded people and pat ourselves on the back and call it spiritual growth because we can all get along with one another and believe the same thing. You know, it is that familiar territory that makes us so comfortable in church. Yet there is a stagnation. We are vegetating in our religion. You know, the moment we got religious, we came to a fork in the road. And there were two signs. The road to the right said, you have arrived. And down that road, about 500 yards, there is a cul-de-sac. And we get on the merry-go-round of churchianity, thinking, I have arrived until the day that we die. The road to the left, though, said, at this fork in the road, there was a sign that said, the journey to knowing God. And that road never ends. And you walk it until the day that you die. Now, the road that you choose will make all the difference in the world. In fact, the road that you choose will determine your growth your spiritual growth it may even determine your destiny the road that you choose most people choose when they get religious they choose the road to the right that says i have arrived and there's not much i gotta do or think about from that point forward i got my religion i am a christian now it may shock us to learn that god lives outside not inside the church we need to learn to find God in unexpected places. We need to learn to find value in unexpected places. So often we say, oh, I don't like him, therefore I reject everything he's, he's saying. To date, religious people seem to find value only in their church, their religious organization, their denomination. We need to look beyond our churches. And so this program is called How to Begin a Relationship with God Without church and religion. Now, you will disagree with some of it, but I can guarantee you, you will learn how to find value in unexpected places. You may even find God again. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Now this issue of morality is an important subject because it seems to be morality, the fall of, of our morality, which will bring about the death of our nation. We quit being a moral, upright people, and when we quit, that is the cause of our death as a nation. Now, there is something going on in the modern-day churches today. It's what I call the echo chamber. If you've ever been in a canyon, the sound of your echo can be great. You know, you get you say, "Hello! Hello! Hello!" and you hear it echo across the canyon. It's the sound of your own voice coming back to you. In churches today, there is a sim- similar phenomenon. Our thoughts, our convictions, the way we see things are just coming back to us from the pulpit. Now you think about it, you might say, why, of course. You don't build a mega church unless you tell people what they want to hear. Now, the churches have not always been like this. If we could go back in time, many years ago, we would see a completely different kind of preaching. One that called for repentance and using the law of God to convict of sin. Today's churches have become a lucrative business. A way to make money. A way for a man to provide for his family. You know, I once read an article entitled Voices of Unbelief Behind the Pulpit. You can look that up on the internet and find the article. The article was sobering. It was about men in the ministry from many different fundamental denominations that admitted they were unbelievers. They viewed their job as play acting, entering into a role when they got up to speak on Sunday morning. The motivation was that it was a fairly easy way to make a living and to provide for the family. We are gullible today as Christians, are we not? If a man wears the cloth, he must be sent by God. You know, nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus reminds us, by their fruits you shall know them. We need to evaluate the fruit of the message. What are we hearing at church? Well, chances are you're hearing the echoes of your own heart, convictions, and the way you see things being repeated back to you. Do you agree with your minister? Do you like what he has to say? Well then, you're in the echo chamber. He's only telling you what you want to hear. Welcome to the modern day church. On a Christian talk radio show, a caller asked the question, what do I look for in a church? The answer that came back was fellowship, caring, and sharing. Yes, fellowship, caring, and sharing. The answer gives us some good insight on the spiritual condition of today's churches. Actually, you can find those three things, fellowship, caring, and sharing, at your local bar. And then there was a study of the most important things a church can do to attract people. The number one was parking. Yes, I said parking. Number two, a nursery. Number three, style. On down the list at number six was pastoring and preaching. It seems our priorities are all out of whack. When parking is the number one priority, something is wrong. How, where, and when did the church go wrong? To answer this question, we must go back in time. Now, I want to list some quotes by, a famous, by famous theologians that, described, that describes the way the church and the message used to be. Martin Luther said this, he said the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and to show the nature of sin. John Wesley said, before I preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law, and judgment. He also said, preach 90% law and 10% grace. Charles Spurgeon said, they will never accept grace until they tremble before a just and holy law. Charles Finney said, Evermore, the law must prepare the way for the gospel. To overlook this in instructing souls is almost certain to result in false hope, the introduction of false standard of Christian experience, and to fill the church with false converts. Again, the highest service to which a man may obtain on earth is to preach the law of God. And Dwight Moody said, God, being a perfect God, had to give a perfect law. And the law was given not to save man, but to measure them. Today's preaching has changed. You don't, you don't hear, I would say today you hear about 90% grace and 10% the law of God. And remember, just earlier I said that John Wesley said, before I preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law, and judgment. He's the one that said preach 90% law and 10% grace. So I think today we have it backwards. Now, here's the thing. This kind of preaching about the law does not build a mega church. This kind of preaching does not fill an auditorium with 10,000 people every Sunday morning. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is the underlying motivation for going to church? Is it for the purpose of being corrected by the word of God? To receive wisdom and instruction from the Bible? Whatever happened to a nation called America going to church to be corrected by God's law? The law of God, the Ten Commandments, defines God's standard of morality. Not only that, the breaking of God's law is what the Bible refers to as sin. For sin is the transgression of the law. That's 1 John 3, 4. So many religious people want a casual relationship with God. And that casual relationship is defined by the echo chambers of our own mind. It has to be our way. What God is looking for is a covenant covenantal relationship. One where the person enters into a personal covenant with his maker. I think most religious people are totally unaware of the damage they are doing to their spirit by only paying attention to the people or preachers they mostly agree with and avoiding the ones they disagree with. You know, even if there was something good, they don't see it because they disqualify the person. Most people are looking for the one little thing they can disagree with so they can disqualify the person as a whole. Once we surround ourselves with people that only share our convictions, this is what causes the echo chamber. You cannot grow spiritually in the echo chamber. You cannot grow spiritually in a relationship with God until our faith is challenged. In fact, you don't even have a relationship with God until it is put to the fire and challenged on a continuous basis. When our faith is challenged, it is only then that we find out how very little we really know about the Bible. I think fear is one of the main reasons why we avoid people we disagree with or have a different conviction. We're afraid that we might have to explain or back up our faith. But if we cannot explain or back up our faith, it's not real faith at all. No, it's just an echo chamber that we cannot prove or defend. Now, there's a story in the Bible of a man named Job. His story begins with four words, I was at ease. Don't ever forget that. What happened next was that Job was drugged through a knothole backwards. You know, sometimes we look at verses like nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And we are very encouraged, but we overlook what is being said. Let's take a look at it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, pearl, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter." I don't know about you, but I would like to avoid many of the things listed here, like, you know, famine, sword, being killed, all that stuff. What we overlook is this. God will have his way when it comes to the personal development of your character. God will not allow you to stagnate and vegetate on the vine. I think we can avoid a lot of negative things in our lives, by being continuously in a self-corrective mode. Lord, I'm probably wrong. Lord, I don't trust myself as far as I can spit. Lord, I need you to correct me. You know, a 16th century philosopher said, the right method should begin with a profession of ignorance. Not only don't I know anything, I am positioned in such a way that what I think I know is probably laden with error, misapplication, and confusion. Now contrast that attitude, that attitude of humility, with the absolute confidence that most religious people exhibit. Well, I know I'm saved and heaven-bound. Now think about it. Which is better, for someone to think they are converted and not be, or for someone to be converted and think they are not? You know, if you think you are not converted, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to live your life being continuously in a self-corrective mode. And I can guarantee you, God will not allow you to stagnate or vegetate on the vine. You know, it is impossible to grow beyond your denominations or church's view of God. In other words, if you're a Baptist, you will die a Baptist. If you're a Catholic, you will die a Catholic. If you're a Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian, you will die a Presbyterian. We have a tendency to get locked into our glass cathedrals. We're part of the insider's group. We cannot see outside the box. We can only see the things the way we're told to see things. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to expand our minds and take us places that we have never dreamed of. But we say, no thanks. I'm comfortable here. Often I've heard the statement, i'm just not being fed at my church well of course not of course not it's because you have placed such incredible limitations on the spirit of god it's because you're only hearing the echo chambers of your own wants desires hearts the way you see things being repeated back to you your own convictions just being repeated back to you there's no room for correction You know, I've been in the ministry for over 20 years, and during that time, I have made it a point to listen to other ministers who have opposing convictions than my own. Now, I'm not saying you have to abandon your faith and convictions. What I'm saying is we must be willing to learn from others that don't always agree with us. Often the truth is inside of you, but it just hasn't been brought to the forefront of your mind. Many times, by listening to someone with an opposing conviction than my own, I've had that gold nugget, that truth brought to the forefront of my mind. Now, had I blocked that person out of my life, this would have never happened. If you pay attention to someone or listen to them, it doesn't mean that you have to emulate, emulate everything about them. The leadership of the Spirit enhances the learning process. You need to be a learner. You need to be a learning machine. You know, at Kitty Hawk, there is a monument with the description, the death of impossible. Up until that point, everyone said that it was impossible to fly. The monument represents the spot where the Wright brothers took off and sailed into the air. You know, many Christians have entered into the death of spiritual growth. The assumption is my church, my denomination cannot cannot be wrong about anything. I know I'm right. I cannot learn from others. The echo chambers of my mind assures me daily that I'm right. I am at ease. So how do we begin a relationship with God without church and religion? How do we grow spiritually again? How do we find God again? Well, by finding value in unexpected places. We must be willing to learn from everyone and have our faith challenged by those who believe differently. So many people immediately shut down as soon as they hear any kind of dissension, anything that disag- they, they disagree with remotely. They shut the person out of their life and will not listen. We must step outside our churches, our denominations, our doctrines, our creeds, and try to understand others. We must learn to find value and truth In unexpected places. You know, many years ago we made the decision, my wife and myself, to homeschool our daughter. And, you know, basically it was the reason for that. It was just in public schools there was a lack of morality that there were some basics that I wanted to teach before I just threw her to the lines, you know, threw her into this public Uh, school systems that there were issues of morality that I wanted to teach her first you know it's almost like the same thing is happening now in the churches that dot our land there is this lack of morality you have God's fan club that many of them are not even converted and then you realize the the motivation for a lot of churches is is not to develop and build the character of the people it is to build an empire it is to to build a a system a church a millions of dollars in in buildings and and it's more like building an empire than it is the concern is not so much about the individuals that come there how can we make them more christ-like How can we help them build this relationship, this godly relationship with their Savior, a relationship with God? It's really not about that anymore. It's the motives are more self-centered. What do we look like to the world? What do we look like compared to other churches? My church is bigger than yours, whatever. And so there is a need to go back to the basics, to the homeschool church, now speaking on this issue of the homeschool church, well first of all, let me ask the question, who told you that church is the only place you can find God? Because I mean obviously somebody has has been telling this, telling us this all of our entire lives that where you go to find out about God is at church. So it's just, again, it's it's a part of our society. It's a part of your culture. It's a part of the American way we look at thing. Again, it's just as common as, uh, as I said earlier, apple pie and Chevrolet, that, that you go to church. Uh, this is the place that you find out about God. Now, you're going to be amazed at this point right here. In your Bible, 2,000 years goes by before you run across the first what I would call a commanded worship service. I mean, think about that. 2,000 years goes by before you come across the first uh, commanded worship service. And actually, it's a reference to the first day of Unleavened Bread, which is one of the uh, holy days found in your Bible, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But this was the first commanded assembling uh, of people together, but before we, you actually have that, you have two thousand years of, of history that goes by in the Bible. Now you might say, "Okay, they had the Sabbath day," and yeah, they they did. Every seventh day was the Sabbath. In other words, they disconnected on the seventh day. First of all, let's back up here. They were told to work six days a week. You know, the Sabbath command is very, the fourth commandment is very simplistic. First of all, they they said, okay, God says work six days a week. Then on the seventh day, I want you to disconnect. I don't want you to do any work. I want you to disconnect and connect with me. But what is interesting about the Sabbath command is that there's not a mention in there, in those commands, in that command, to worship God, to go to church. You don't find it. It just says, for one, you are to work six days and then rest and not do any business or not, you know, rest, on not do any work on the seventh day. That's all it says. Nothing in there about church going, nothing in there about worship. So it's just, you know, it's interesting that you see that. Now, somebody told us that the way you find God is by going to church. Now, I'm not necessarily knocking going to church. There is a scripture that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But, you know, that, that's way on down the road. What I'm talking about is first, we've got the cart, cart in front of the horse. We've been brainwashed into believing that the way you begin a relationship with God is by going to church. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. There's much you do going, choosing a church, choosing a fellowship group of like, like-minded people is way down on the list after you have developed a personal intimate relationship with God. And you may come to find out that after you develop that personal intimate relationship with God, that there's very few churches that matches your convictions. Now, the truth of the matter is you don't need to be told what to believe about God, now why would I say that? Well, because that's not faith. That's just someone cram, someone else uh, faith crammed down your throat. So you don't need to be told, you know, uh, uh, what to believe about God. What what we do need are guidelines on how to develop that relationship, that personal faith in God. That's what is needed, and that's why this program is called. How to Begin a Relationship with God Without Church and Religion. So I go through uh, 12 lessons here. The first one is, has Christianity worked? Lesson number one. And to answer that question, all you got to do is just say, do you see a world that is getting closer to God? Well, no, you do not. Well, what's wrong then? Why has our religion, all the 450,000 churches and all the 650,000 preachers, why has our religion not brought us closer to God as a nation? Has Christianity worked? You see, the proper guidelines cannot be established until you ask the right questions. you got to start asking the right questions. And so lesson number one is, has Christianity worked? Lesson number two is why do you want a relationship with God? Again, you got to ask the right questions. You know, most people give an extreme superficial reason for wanting to know God. And most, The most common reason is this. I want to get saved. I want to get my butt saved. And, you know, this this is a critical point here. Your reason for wanting to know God. Everything is hinged on that, you know, one lesson. What is your reason for wanting a relationship with God? Lesson three is you were born into a ready-made world of religion. And often that ready-made world of religion is crammed down your throat. You, did, you had no say-so over it. You were born into this ready-made world of religion. And I want to tell you something. that This ready-made world of religion that exists, that is out there, will not, it cannot, satisfy your hunger for God. Lesson number four is identifying religious propaganda. The importance of you identifying religious propaganda, and I go through a whole list of little one-liner sound bites that have been around for the past 50 years, that you've been, actually you've been sort of brainwashed by religious propaganda. you got to identify this Five, less than five, is religious addiction. And often, once you are spoon-fed religious propaganda, the next step is religious addiction. We get addicted to religion. Religious addiction is just being in a church, a denomination, a religion where you don't have to think and make decisions for yourself. And, you know, that fits a lot of religious people, believe me. Six lesson is don't go to church be the church with the emphasis on being the church a light unto the world lesson seven is how to understand God without the Bible yes how to understand God without the Bible I go through many illustrations there about creation in fact that's where the Bible tells us you begin you begin with creation eight the God connection what is the God connection you need to know this Lesson nine, appointments with God, that God has special appointments that he wants you to keep, just like an appointment with your doctor, your lawyer. Oh, if you had one, you would keep it, would you not? Well, God has certain appointments with him. Ten, a clash of wills, lesson number ten, a clash of wills, where I go through and explain why the struggles are important to God whatever you're struggling with, whatever your you know, your sins, your addictions, why these struggles exist and why they are important to God in your relationship. 11, choosing a support group. And there I go through guidelines once you develop this relationship of guidelines to look for in, in choosing a support group. Most people don't have any guidelines when choosing a church. And 12, the last lesson is the leadership of the Spirit of God. And you know you're really talking about where and what that spirit you know where it wants you to go and what that spirit wants you to do the leadership of the spirit of God. Now, you can find out more about this program at uplusgod.info. Check it out, look at some of the videos there, look at listen to some, some some of the the audio or whatever and check that out and it's an extensive program comes with a workbook about I think it's six CDs uh, lesson on how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. Check it out at youplusgod.info. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? And remember, your homeschool church starts today, and it starts with you. You plus God.